I've got a confession to make. This time of year, uh, I've traveled a lot as far as going, heading back to, uh, towards St. Louis Mite, where I grew up, also near Springfield, Illinois, and uh, vacations in general. And while I'm traveling, there's usually some time as I'm surfing, channel surfing, that I'll land on some country western music. It's really the only time I really listen to country western. And here's what is interesting about country western is there's always a, a really unique story involved in there, like usually a guy's left his wife or he's left his dog or something, and, and you kind of listen close. But here's the other thing that I love about country western music. It's the, not just the lyrics, but it's the titles of the songs that uh, have captured my heart. So I want to share with you a few heart-wrenching country western titles, if we can. Here's title number one. <laughs> I wouldn't take her to a dog fight because I'm afraid she'd win. <laughs> yeah. I think I took her to senior prom. Okay, number two. You put my heart in a tin can and you shot it off a log. You ever feel like that? Here's one that will bring a tear to your eye. Billy broke my heart at Walgreens and I cried all the way to Sears. <laughs> Single tear. Okay, number four. This is my favorite one. When you wrapped my lunch in a road map, I knew it meant goodbye. <laughs> Let's pray. We all know uh, that there's something powerful sometimes about a song. So about two and a half years ago, there was a country western song. And as soon as I heard the title, I like this is going to be such a cheesy song. And the song was entitled, If I Could Have a Beer with Jesus. And then I listened to the song. And I downloaded the lyrics. And we actually had a Bible study at Ken and Claudia Mitchell's because we were trying to form a group that would reach out to people <coughs> who had tough spiritual questions that were broken but have a safe place to come. And so we invited uh, some of the folks that were there to bring their friends. And in that Bible study, I said, we're not going to have a Bible study tonight. I'm going to hand out the lyrics to this song. We're going to listen to the song, and we're going to talk about it. So I passed out the lyrics, and there was a guy there that night that was so broken. I mean, what he was going through, I, I couldn't even imagine. And this is what he circled, and I want to share it with you. If I could have a beer with Jesus... I'd put my whole paycheck in the jukebox, and I'd fill it with nothing but the good stuff and sit somewhere where we couldn't see the clock. And I remember saying, now, why is that so important to you? And he says, man, I've got an awful lot that I need to talk to Jesus about. And some of you sitting here today, that's exactly where you're at. Man, you'd do anything if you could have some extended one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus because you've got a lot of questions. And over the years, working with young people and just gen in general, uh, just people asking if you could ask Jesus anything, there's always three responses, three dominant responses. The first one is a little bit selfish. The question is, Jesus, am I in? Did I make it? If I make it to heaven, I'm pretty good with the rest of the conversation. You know what I'm saying? If I'm not in, let's talk that out, okay? The second one that usually follows is, I've got a list of people that I want to know, are they in? I really would like to know that. But you know what the most dominant question is? Jesus, what do you want me to do? What is your purpose for me? And here's some great news. Jesus, through his word and through his actions, and what I think is the greatest mission statement ever uttered, tells every one of us what we're called to do. It's really pretty basic. Two words. Make disciples. It hasn't changed over 2,000 years. 
make disciples. So this morning what we're going to do is actually kind of go on a journey with Jesus, just like he did with his disciples. And on this journey, we're going to take three stops. And I want you to share, what we're going to share this morning is what Jesus shared with those early followers. That's what we're going to do. When you hear the word journey or family vacation, what comes to mind? I want you to think in your mind what comes to mind. For me, it's a trilogy of three movies. National Lampoon's Vacation, Animal House, Driving Miss Daisy. You know, it's a combination of one of those three. It's either really unpredictable, crazy, or those hours where everybody else is sleeping. You know what I'm saying? And you're just trying to stay awake. But I want you to think what it would be like to go on a journey with Jesus. And we have an incredible opportunity this morning because we see exactly the journey the disciples took. So here's stop number one. Turn over to John 1, 39. And here's the first stop. Starting in verse 37, it says, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And here's what I love. Jesus said, Come, he said, and you will see. So remember this one phrase, come and see. For the spiritually curious, Jesus always said, you want to go on the journey? You just come with me. And why don't you begin asking the tough questions? Jesus still does that today. Now, here's what people say in general. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. People were spiritually curious. They were in the presence of Jesus. They were in the presence of the Son of God. Of course they were curious Are they that curious today? And what's interesting, spiritually, people are just as curious. In the Gallup poll in 2011, uh, Americans were asked, answer yes or no, do you believe in God? 92% of Americans said they believe in God. The second question Gallup asked in 2014 was, do you believe that the Bible is somehow connected to God? 75% said they believe that. So if that's true... Why is it that people are running like crazy away from the church? Why is it when they took the census in 2010 and asked Monroe County, who is affiliated with any church, 66% of those surveyed say, I'm not connected with any church. Why is that? Because you can believe in God and not actually follow God. You can believe this is God's word and say, that does not apply to me. I love what it says in Isaiah 53, 6. We are all like sheep who've gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. In other words, I don't mind believing in God as long as God fits into my box. And I don't mind you saying you believe this is God's word because that doesn't mean I have to pay any attention to that. People are still extremely curious. There's a great book. It's called Finding Your Way to God by Dave and John Ferguson. And they talk about a young man named Nick. And his story was... He was so damaged by his relationship with his mom and dad growing up that he was so hurt by he felt God, he just didn't need God. But he showed up anyway at church. And this is how they framed his life. Nick's confusion turned to doubt. His doubt evolved into indifference, and indifference turned to amnesia. Nick forgot about God, and he just moved on. That might be where some of you are at right now. You're just kind of putting your toe in the water. And you may believe in God, you may not believe in God, but you've kind of forgot that he's important in your life. Let me tell you, there's a lot of individuals just like that, spiritually curious. 
So I want to encourage everyone here today in Psalms 126. It says that with weeping, we bring seeds. And we plant those seeds. And there is an amazing harvest, but we have to keep planting the seeds. We have to keep inviting folks to be involved. Don't ever, don't ever forget how important it is. Just that little invitation. It doesn't even mean to be coming to church. It could be get involved in an atmosphere. Get involved in a situation where you're around other believers. Don't ever draw back from how important that invitation truly is. For example, the International Furniture Drive is one of the greatest things Sherwood Oaks does. You know why? Even if you're a non-believer and you come to that furniture drive, you're going to see people working side by side to help individuals they've never met before in their backyard. It's those type of things where people begin to see there is something about God that I want to know. I want to encourage all of you, don't get tired, don't give in, keep inviting. And here's the other one, you just got to keep showing up. Back in 1989 on our, one of our family vacations, I saw the movie Dad. If you've never seen it, it's a great movie. It's got uh, Jack Lemmon who plays the dad and Ted Danson. And at the very end of the movie, towards the end, it's a father battling cancer. And he's having his last conversation with his son. And his son's name was Johnny. So even in the theater, people kind of leaned forward. They thought, this is going to be a profound story. It's the last meaningful thing this dad is going to say to his son. And he said, son, I want to share with you a life lesson. It happened game six of the 1947 World Series. Joe DiMaggio came up at the bottom of the six. The Dodgers had just put in a replacement left fielder, and his name is Al Giofrido. All five foot six, 160 pounds, went out to left field, and DiMaggio hit an amazing fly ball to deep left center, and everybody in the stadium knew they were going to tie the game, and the Yankees were going to win the World Series on that day. But this little guy, Al, took off like nobody had ever seen before and made one of the most amazing catches in World Series history. Johnny, do you understand that story? And he leaned in and had the same look that we all have right now as you're looking at me. I don't get it. And here's what he said. Johnny, in America, if you show up for work, anything can happen. For your friends and for your family members that have given up on God, you just need to keep showing up. Because I guarantee, odds are, there's somebody here today that you were far from God and somebody brought you to God because they kept showing up. Jesus simply said, come and see. And then the second stop is John 1, 43. If you've got your scriptures, it says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Come and see, follow me. Now, here's what follow me means. It means I'm all in. About two months ago, my life changed. Uh, our whole life, our whole family's life changed. And I walked through these two doors in the back with my oldest daughter, Rachel, and, uh, and even stood right here, and they had their vows. She married an outstanding young man named Jordan Jones. He's got the three things that every father wants. Um, he loves my daughter. He loves Jesus. He has a job, okay? <laughs> so in church world, if somebody shares something and you agree with it, you say amen, and you say it with full fervor, okay? So I'm going to share a statement. If you agree with it, say amen. A wedding 
is different than marriage. That didn't sound very enthusiastic. Okay. A wedding is different than a marriage. Well, I know it's Father's Day, but you've got to agree with that. I mean, a wedding, I mean, it's butterflies and unicorns and cake, and, and then there's a marriage, okay? Totally different. Because in a marriage, it's daily sacrifices, it's forgiveness, it's submitting and serving, it's admitting you're wrong, it's unconditional love. So when Jesus said, are you all in, and this is where I, I got to step on the Christian church toes, he isn't saying... I need you to just get baptized. That's all I need. Because if you get baptized, you're all in. What Jesus says, I need you all in every day. When he reached out to the disciples, it was a full-time, all-in commitment. It's the same challenge he has for everybody sitting here today. Are you all in? Years ago, uh, a man of faith that really had an impact on me, his name was Dave Busby. Dave Busby died uh, from a variety of things that he was dealing with, cystic fibrosis, polio, liver and heart issues, and I only had a chance to hear him preach once, and when when Busby would preach, he'd get through maybe a paragraph or so, and he would literally have to take a deep breath, gather his strength, and continue preaching. He preached every sermon as if it was the last sermon he was ever going to preach. He preached with such passion and urgency that it would just stir your heart. And he said his entire life changed when he was 12 years old. He said, I was this sickly kid. I couldn't run. I could only walk pretty quick. But he said, one morning, I woke up with an attitude. You ever met a 12-year-old with an attitude? (laughs) And when he woke up that morning, he said, I'm eating my cereal. And at 10 o'clock or so in the morning, I leaned over and I said to my mom, I'm going to go play basketball with my brother and his buddies. Now, his brother was actually the best ball player on the high school team. So here's this little scrawny, sick 12-year-old with these juniors and seniors in high school, 20 of them. And he waddles up, and you know how it is if you've ever watched this unfold. All the guys line up. All 20 guys start shooting until they get down to two guys, and that's who the captains are going to be that day. And it got down to the two guys, one of them being his brother. So he said, his brother grabbed the basketball and said, I'm picking first. And they're like, no, 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 man, everybody knows you're the best ball player. You're not going first. He goes, it's my basketball. I'm picking first. So they all line up. And he says, he remembers his brother taking his finger, and he goes, David, I want you. And he said, a 12-year-old boy took two steps, and I started crying. And I couldn't stop crying. The word he used was, I was totally undignified. And says, I got close enough, and my brother took his big hand, and he reached out, and he pulled me in. And he said, all of a sudden, his T-shirt was wet with my tears. And he said, then my brother took his other arm, and he reached in, and he pulled me so close to his chest, I could smell his sweat. And he said, it was at that moment I realized how loved I was. And he said, it changed my life. When Jesus said, follow me to those disciples, he said, I want you to get so close that you can hear my heartbeat. I want you to pull in so close that you can smell my sweat. That's what he wants for everybody in this room. 
He doesn't want you to make just a flippant decision. He wants you all in. He wants to pull out and pull you into his chest and say, are you with me? Because if you know you're loved like that every day, you're all in. Here's what I love about Jesus. He built a team, not a place. And if there's anybody that could have built a place, it was Jesus. He was the son of God. He was the master carpenter. He didn't say, go to a location and you'll find me. He said, no, no, I'm going with you. Every step of the way, when you follow me, I am with you. And here's the key. We're going to do this with a community. When he pulled in those disciples, he didn't say this is just a solo act. He said, no, no, you're going to be in a community because that's how you're really going to grow in me. That's how you're going to learn the most by being with others. It's interesting that there was a Harvard study uh, led by Edward Howell and a team, and they were studying what's the most meaningful things that people go through in their life significant things. There were two findings. Number one, people felt significant when they reached a goal in a significant way. And number two, when they could relate to people in a significant way. But listen to the summary by Edward Howe. Listen to this summary. Our society is becoming more and more obsessed with achieving while at the same time becoming incredibly bankrupt when it comes to connecting. In other words, people are achieving and accomplishing all of these goals, but they're finding their life is empty. Why? Because they're not connecting with other human beings. God designed us for community. One of the things you're going to hear a lot over the next few months is life groups. And here's the key to life groups. It's out of rows and into circles. You need to be in communities where you're sharing life. This has been a hard week for Tom and our families. Uh, Tom and I, we lost our, our mother-in-law. And I know some of you are saying, I, I didn't know that Tom was my brother-in-law. And I can't believe you can't see the resemblance, okay? <laughs> Honestly. But it's been, it's been hard. But I tell you what's been amazing. I can't tell you how many emails and texts and phone calls, just, just brothers and sisters in Christ saying, I just want you to know I'm praying for you and I'm with you. It's a community. I mean, thank God that we are in this thing together. And then here's the last stop, and I want you to think about this. After Jesus said, follow me, he simply said, make disciples. John 15, 16 says this, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. In other words, Jesus was saying, don't just play church. Don't just be a part of programs and Bible studies. What he's saying is you need to invest in flesh and blood, human beings, you need to invest because that's what will live on. Buildings don't live on. People do. So when you invest, invest in others. Make disciples. What is a disciple? It's simply a learner. And what are you learning? You're learning to become more like Jesus. Do you need help? Absolutely. I need help. We all need one another to become more like Christ. That's why we need to pull in close to each other. Because here's the weakness in a lot of churches. We are good at what I call the ABCs. We never get to the D. A is attendance, B is buildings, and C is cash flow. And we can talk all day long about those three things because they're easy to measure. And you know who's the most insecure group of people talking about these things? Because I've been around in my whole life. Ministers. Listen to how ministers talk to other ministers. They'll approach one another. Brother, how's it going? Well, the Lord is blessing us. That means attendance is up, okay? And if they say, well, the, we're in a season of pruning, attendance is down, okay? 
And then it, it's easy to roll into, well, how are things going at your church? Are you adding on code? Are you building? How's things going with your offerings? Cash flow. Very seldom do we have honest dialogue. How are we doing making disciples? You know why? Because that's tough to measure. So what's our responsibility at Sherwood Oaks to do is to, to do everything we can to create environments so that you can get in smaller groups, in smaller communities, that you can grow in Christ. Let me just share quickly a 30-second commercial for men's ministry. If you go out these doors, uh, we've got a men's ministry display. And one of our first step ministries is a Wednesday night ministry called Discipleship Revolution. Our goal is to have relevant Bible studies, but to get men in tables. And at those tables, six or seven men, you'll have meaningful conversation about life. How does this apply to your life? Now, here's the key. Each table leader's responsibility, we call this the, the secret sauce, is build relationships outside of Wednesday night. And it's the same thing with any group here. Are we building relationships outside of that particular study? Are we going deeper in living life together? Shane Claiborne put it this way, the question of life after death is still significant, but what's most important to people is wondering about this, whether there is life before death. You know what people are looking for? Hope. They need hope in Christ. And that's why we're here, to provide hope. I want to close with this um, documentary that I read about. It's called Art and Copy. And it's basically a documentary that talks about these amazing slogans and advertising that has stuck with us for years that actually had impact on people's lives. So I'm going to share with you a series of slogans. I'll count to three. And then I want to see if you know the establishment. Okay? So here's the first one we're going to bring up. Where's the beef? Okay. One, two, three. Wendy's. Okay. You did better than first service. Good job. Okay. Number two. Run for the border. Ready? One, two, three. Taco Bell. Okay. Number three. We're going to show a picture of a character. And let's see if you know what they're advertising here. One, two, three. Budweiser. Yeah, I know you're embarrassed. Lilvia is Budweiser, you know. How many of you thought driving in for Father's Day, I'm going to yell Budweiser at church today? <laughs> well, you just did. Okay, here we go. Now, look at this logo, Nike. Nike revolutionized a company with three words. I bet you know it. One, two, three, just do it. Okay, isn't that wild? Just do it. Now, I want you to think about how they even came up with that. It's pretty interesting. In 1977, Gary Gilmore was being executed in Utah. His last three words were, let's do it. Years later, Gary Weedman and a group for Nike were brainstorming. And he remembered that story. He goes, isn't that an odd thing to say right before you're executed? Let's do it. I kind of like the do it. I think we need to throw out let's. Somebody threw out, how about just? Just do it. And they thought it would be a nice catchy little three-word slang for running shoes. They had no idea how profound of an impact those three words would have globally. They started getting correspondence and letters from all over the world. People were like, I don't really care about sports. Those three words have motivated me to do things I never dreamed that I'd have the courage to do. Just do it. 
And every time I hear just do it, I thought, that's pretty good. There's only one three-word description better. Go make disciples. That trumps this. Go make disciples. Why? Because it's what Jesus said every human being is responsible to do. I don't know what my purpose is in life. Go make disciples. So where are you this morning? If you're on a journey with Christ and you've got a lot of questions for him, you're on that journey, are you kicking the tires? Are you at that point where Jesus would just say, well, just come and see. And if you are, just keep showing up because it's an honor to have you here today. Some of you may be on a point where Jesus said, no, no, I want you to follow me. I mean, really follow me. I need you all in. And maybe you're wrestling with, you know you're not all in. You know you're not where you need to be. And some of you, you're struggling with this making disciples. You're investing in a lot of things in your life. You're just not investing in other people. And so maybe you need God to convict you, I need to do this. I need to be a part of something bigger than myself. Wherever you are in your life, we're here for you.